at the beginning of Romans chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he's using Abraham now as the example that we can't, we can't uh, earn God's favor through works, or we don't earn God's favor through works. He says, even Abraham, the, our great forefather, the one to whom the covenants were given, we, we know him and we know the stuff that he did, but what did he earn according to the flesh? Nothing. Even Abraham didn't earn it according to the flesh, for if, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? This is verse 3 of Romans uh, chapter 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. This is the, where we get into the thinking that if we work, we earn it, and then God owes us for the work that we've done. And that's not how it works, because it's a gift. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so now, having said, Abraham didn't earn anything according to his work, that, then what did he gain? Right? Did, did he gain anything? And that, that's where we pick it up in verse, uh, chap, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, which is our text for today. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In verse 13 it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He, he made a promise, a covenant to Abraham. Now, some of you were here last year and we went through the book of Genesis and we talked about this covenant. We talked about the covenant a lot. We talked about the covenant a lot because in the book of Genesis, the covenant is a really, really big deal. But because it's now been, say, six months or maybe a little bit more, and because uh, your memory is short, let's go ahead and review that. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what I mean is because my memory is short, <laughs> let's review it. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Did, did you hear this promise that the Lord is making to Abraham? 
I will make you a great nation. You're going to come to the land that I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him there. This promise that the Lord makes to Abraham in chapter 12 is that Abraham is going to inherit this land. He says, you're going to leave where your father is. You're going to come to this new place, this new land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a place. You're going to become a great people. And I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to have my presence. Right? So they're going to have a place and a people and a presence. That's the covenant that, the God, that God gives to Abram. Now that, that's significant enough. We could just leave it like that and go, wow, that's a pretty great promise. But, but the Lord wasn't done. And so in chapter 13, he comes back. Chapter 13 verse, uh, of Genesis, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Now, why did Lot have his nephew have to separate from him? Lot had to leave and go to a different place because they had so much stuff together. The Lord had blessed them so much that they couldn't live in the same part of land together. I'm not talking like in your neighborhood they couldn't be neighbors anymore. I'm talking like huge amounts of land. They couldn't live near each other anymore because they both had so much stuff. The Lord had blessed them so much. And so Lot separates from him. And the Lord said to Abram, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, then your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. The Lord is still promising to Abraham. He, he's going, look, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be, you're going to be so many people. You're going to have so many descendants. You won't even be able to count them. I mean, if somebody could count the dust of the ground, then maybe they'd be able to count your descendants. But there's going to be so many of them, you're going to be ridiculously blessed. And look, everywhere you look, look as far as you can see, because as far as you can see in every direction, that's the land I'm going to give to you. The Lord's just promising to, to Abraham. He's making this covenant to him, and he's going, this is for you. I'm giving this promise to you, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And we could leave it there and we'd be done. But we can't, because he says it again in chapter 15, which I'm not going to take the time to read, because I'm going to read it in where he says it again in chapter 17. So in Genesis chapter 17, he again comes to Abraham and he says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. 
I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And this promise, this covenant that the Lord is making to Abraham doesn't get smaller, right? As time goes on, and and look, it took me, what, two minutes maybe to go through those promises? And this is years and years in between for Abraham. That the Lord comes and He promises to him and then He waits a while and nothing happens. Literally, nothing happens. No kids, no offspring, Abraham's going, what's going on? You told me I was going to have a lot of offspring. Oh yeah, by the way, wanted to remind you, it's going to be a lot of offspring. Well, that's great, but one would be nice. Just, could we start with one? And, and the land, have I mentioned how much land you're going to get, Abraham? I don't have any land, I'm just wandering. Through somebody else's land right now. Right, but it's going to be a lot of land. In fact, nations and kingdoms and kings are going to come from you. You are going to be exceedingly fruitful and blessed. And Abraham's going, one God, just one. It has to start. What if, what if I, I take my uh, wife's servant and we have a kid over here? Th- how about that one? Nope. Well, right now there's this servant in my house and he's going to inherit everything. No, no, no. You and Sarah are going to have a kid. And then, kaboom. Nations and kings and lands and blessings like you can't hardly believe. Now, in some ways, God is making this promise, this covenant to Abraham. And in other ways, it's not really to Abraham, is it? I mean, it's the promise to Abraham... But he's not seeing the actual fruit of it. He's not seeing the actual blessing of it. That's yet to come. He barely sees the beginning. He has to wait till he's over a hundred before he has his first kid. That's a long time. That's a lot of waiting. And yet, the promises to Abraham and to his offspring. Why do I tell you this? Why do I remind you about these promises and that they were received by Abraham by faith? It's because in Romans chapter 4, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the, where the law, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. He, he's 
Paul is, is using Abraham and, and is reminding us of these promises, these covenants that were to Abraham. And that it wasn't by the work that Abraham did that he receives them. It was by his faith. Abraham just waiting and waiting and waiting and yet believing that God was going to do it. Why didn't, why didn't Abraham have to do something? Why didn't Abraham have to do something so that he could be blessed? I mean, that, that makes sense, right? I mean, if, if we want something, usually we have to do something in return. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's, there's, no, there's no such thing as free. I just got a thing in the mail. Um, I, I went to Washington State University. I'm an alum. And so I got this thing in the mail that, that said, uh, free. Right on, the, right on the cover of the envelope, it said free. And I'm sorting through the mail and my oldest son is standing there and he goes, hey, you get something free. It's not free. What that means is it's free if I send them money. Are you sure? I'm sure. I don't even have to open it. It's free if I send them money. That's not free. Nope, it's not free. Can I look? Sure. <laughs> Knock yourself out. So he opens it up. Sure enough, you were right. If you join their club, the Alumni Association, and you send them $500, then you get this free gift. That's an expensive free gift. And that's how we expect things to work, right? We expect it to be that we have to pay for it. We have to earn it. We have to do something to get it. And what Paul is telling us here is that the gift, the uh, promise that was made to Abraham is not received by work. Why not? Verse 14 of Romans chapter 4, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about terms and conditions? How the, the law, the contracts have all these terms and conditions. And when we try and keep all the terms and conditions that might be required of serving the sovereign God of the universe, we're disqualified. We're disqualified. If the promises and covenants of God were dependent on our actions, we would be disqualified and would not be able to receive them. That's bad news. That's bad news. If I take my kids and I say, hey, we're going to ride all the rides that you qualify for. We're going we're gonna to go to uh, the, that fun park and we're going to ride all the rides that you qualify for. And the bar is this high. The only one in my family that qualifies is me. They can watch me ride. I 
I'd, I'd sacrifice and do that because I'm that kind of a dad. But nobody else would qualify, right? If the bar is here, nobody else qualifies. If the bar is there, now I don't qualify. What kind of a theme park is this? Not even I qualify? Most people consider me tall. If the bar is here and I... Huh, I can't ride this ride. That, that's how the promises of God would work, right? The covenants of God. If God put con- terms and conditions on it that we had to keep these terms and conditions in order to qualify to receive the promises of God, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. No theme park fun. Just sitting and watching. Empty rides. Because nobody qualifies. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and then the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. For the law brings wrath. When we start seeing the law and the things that are required of somebody who sees God, right? So, God, sovereign God, sovereign creator of the universe, how do you relate to Him? The right way. Yeah? Here's here's the issue. Many people think that they should qualify for the blessings of God by being a relatively good person. What does relatively good mean? I don't know, but I'm probably it. That's what they want the terms and conditions to be. I am a relatively good person, and so God should give me stuff. They want it to be contractual, they want it to be earned, and they think that they've already earned it. In reality, God is the sovereign creator of the universe. There is no one or anything greater than Him. He created everything. He provides everything. And so what should our response be to Him? How should we, how ought we to interact with Him? Like that. As though He is the sovereign creator God of all things, the one who provides every good thing for us. The one who provides rain, the one who provides sunshine, the one who provides food and shelter, who provides absolutely everything we need, and we should relate to Him as that kind of a God. And when in our actions and our words we don't, I can think of no worse thing that we could do. You say, well, what about murder? That'd be pretty bad. Yeah, it's not good, that's for sure. But why is murder a problem? Well, because you destroyed a human life. Okay, why is that a problem? Because they have value. Human life has value. Why does human life have value? Human life has value because it's created in the image of God. That's why it has value. 
That's why we don't murder. That's why we don't steal or take things from other human people. Or belittle them. Or be rude to them. Or unkind. Because they are created in the image of God. And so they have value. Now, if the image of God has value and ought to be honored and cherished and respected, then what do we say about God Himself? We have to. We can't ignore. We can't pretend that He might owe us something or that we deserve whatever it is beyond what He's already given us. For when we see the law, the law brings wrath. Because when we see what the standard is, when we see what the measure is, what we realize is that we don't qualify. Right? It, like when you uh, submit an application for a credit card and you just assume, I've got great credit. And then you get it back and it says, nope, declined. You actually have lousy credit. Hang on. I thought I had great credit. No, you don't. You don't. It's that kind of a thing where we we don't have great credit with God. We can't have it based on law and legal requirements and work. Because if we do, what we find is that all we earn is God's wrath. We submitted the application. We should get really great credit cards because we have great credit. And what we find out is, no, remember there was that credit card that you used back in college that you didn't pay off? I totally forgot about that one. They've been trying to chase you down for years as you've moved from place to place and haven't told them where you moved, and when you submit that credit application, what you find out is you've got a great debt that you totally forgot about. And the interest payments have not been kind. And what we discover is that we deserve God's wrath. We really, really wanted to be good, We really, really wanted to earn His favor, but in fact, we didn't. We earned His wrath. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there's no transgression of that law. That's not to say there's no sin or no wrongdoing, but where the law does not apply or where there is no law that applies, there can't be any transgressing of that law. If, if, if there's no speed limit on the road, you can drive as fast as you want. There's not, there are some speeds that are not safe or not healthy or not good but you didn't break the law because there's no speed limit on that road. Right? Where the law doesn't apply, where there is no law, there is no transgressing of the law. So put it in these terms. You wanted to apply for God's credit, right? You wanted to apply for God's gift. 
If there was law, if there were legal requirements, you would have to qualify to get it. But because there aren't legal requirements there, you don't have to qualify. You can just get it. Which is good news because you didn't qualify. Does that make sense? If you had to qualify, you wouldn't. But because you don't have to qualify, you do. That is the beauty of God's gift. That is the beauty of the gift to Abraham. Because God made this covenant with Abraham and He did not depend that covenant on things that Abraham would do. It was God's gift to him. And it was a big gift. Huge. And over the years it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then... People kept looking back and going, that is the great gift. That's the great promise to Abraham. God's presence for God's people in God's place. And throughout the Old Testament, the the people kept looking back and going, this is the land. This is the land that God has given to us. We don't own all of it yet, but we're going to because God has promised it to us. We are God's people. We're not all here yet, but we're growing and we're going to be because God has promised it. God is here. God is here because we are His people in His place. This is, this is it. And the promise just got bigger and bigger. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has been talking to the Lord and David has been saying, God, I want to build you a house. I, I want to build, I have this really nice house. I'd like to build you a house. And the Lord says, Oh, David, that's sweet. That, that's, it's cute that you'd like to build me a house. Let, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Is this starting to sound familiar? People, place... And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And from that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him as a father and he shall be to me as a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And because of these words... 
And because of this vision that Nathan spoke to David, here's David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them the great and awesome things by driving out your people, by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever what you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever saying the lord of hosts is god over israel and the house of your servant david will be established before you for you o lord of hosts the god of israel have made this revelation to your servant saying i will build you a house therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with you blessing uh, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. He made the promise to Abraham several times. He kept building on it. He made it to Isaac, Abraham's son. He made it to Jacob, Abraham's grandson. He he made the promises to the the descendants through Moses at Mount Sinai. And he makes the, the promise again to David saying, forever and ever, forever and ever. Was it because of the great stuff that David did? No. No. God decided that he was going to bless David. And David loved God. He received those promises by faith. He loved God. That is why it depends on faith. Romans 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that this promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all His offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That, that's why it's a promise. That's why it's received by faith. That's why it's given by grace. Because otherwise, God couldn't guarantee it. If it was dependent on us in order to receive God's gift, if there was something that we would have to do, we wouldn't qualify and God couldn't guarantee it. 
And so instead, it is entirely dependent on God's grace. It is entirely a gift from God, dependent on nothing that we do. We just receive it by faith. Because otherwise, God couldn't make the promise. If it was dependent on Abraham, if it was dependent on Abraham's descendants, if it was dependent on David or David's kids, they wouldn't be able to receive it, but it wasn't dependent on those things, and so God can guarantee it because He's God. And He's not limited by them. Was given in the presence of God in whom He believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who is this God that can make this promise like this? Who can keep His promise like this? It is the one who can make the promise to Abraham and when Abraham is 90 years old and has no kids, he continues to make the promise because he can bring things into being that do not yet exist. And Isaac was yet to come. Who is this God? He's the creator of the universe who calls things into being with His voice and says, let there be light and there's light. And whatever He says happens. And so when He declares, this is the promise to Abraham and to his descendants, that's the promise. And will He fulfill it? Absolutely. He has guaranteed it and it cannot be nullified because of our action or lack of action because it is given as a gift only to be received by faith. And so we see this gift promised and given. And you remember now thinking back about the promise given to Abraham and how it just seemed to grow. This is going to be the land. See, this much land, you're going to have a lot of descendants. A lot, a lot of descendants. Descendants after descendants. So many descendants that they're going to be nations that can't be counted and kings. It's going to be an enormous blessing. And His promise to David that it would continue on forever and ever. And how do we know that this will be the case? Because it has already been fulfilled in Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul encourages us to have, in our mind, uh, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the, the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has, high, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Why then is there law? Right? If we don't qualify for the promises of God by the law, then why have the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? 
Oh, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held under held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ... So there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings and heirs according to the promise. And so we now are heirs, Abraham's descendants, receiving the promises given to Abraham, fulfilled through Jesus Christ, so that when we are looking at it, we are no longer talking about a land, right? We're not just talking about as far as Abraham can see in every direction. We're talking about the whole world. We're not just talking about the physical descendants of Abraham and those who would join themselves into that, but we're talking about the whole world, the message that has gone out to the whole world, that so through Jesus this promise might be given to all who believe in Him and all who have faith in Him and all who come and unite themselves to Jesus. They become co-heirs with Him. And this is happening in part. And this is the message that we are proclaiming. This is the good news. That we, though we deserve the wrath of God, are inheriting the grace of God, the presence of God, as God's people in God's place, which is here. That's the message that we're proclaiming. And one day we will see it completely fulfilled. In Revelation chapter 5 it says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the throne around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And there is Jesus on His throne, ruling over all of heaven and all of earth and everything that is. And in Revelation chapter 7 it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. This is hearkening back now, right, to the multitudes upon multitudes that were promised to Abraham. And after this I looked, and a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before that throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then finally in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we are now counted among that number if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sin as well. We are now counted among that number as the offspring of Abraham. We are now counted among that number as the heirs, the recipients of the blessings of God so that we too might worship along with the saints in Revelation. And now we get to do that together. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, How glorious are you above the earth and in all the earth. There is no other name that can be praised like yours. Lord, how great are you and how humbled are we that you out of your grace and sovereignty have seen fit to extend this gift to us. A gift that we absolutely do not deserve. God, how awesome are You? The Creator of all things who called Abraham and promised these things to him. And Abraham throughout his life barely seen the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise and now we look at it being completely fulfilled and we praise You for bringing us into it that we also may be a part of it. Thank You that we do not disqualify ourselves because of our work. Thank You that we don't earn it because of our work so that none of us may boast, but You may get all of the glory and praise forever and ever. And we pray that we would receive it with grace and humility and proclaim it to the ends of the earth. That our God reigns and has purchased those from every tribe and tongue and nation to be a part of His kingdom. And for this we praise You today and forevermore.